to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host as always. This, bon- this podcast is sponsored by Open Loop, a trusted partner for telehealth companies across the U.S. looking to launch and scale their virtual care services. Check them out at openloophealth.com. And today I'm joined by another very special guest, Ms. Sam Lipolis. She is the founder of Telehealth Easy, and she works with clinicians, organizations, and digital health companies using step-by-step methods for scaling a successful telehealth program the right way. She specializes in clinical training. She's been implementing telemedicine for 12 years across 19 specialties and trained over 3,000 clinicians from medical assistants to doctors. So I'm excited to have her on and learn a little bit more about her story, her background. That being said, Sam, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. No problem. Why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a little bit more of a background of who you are, how you got started in healthcare, and more importantly, the telehealth. I think I had a meandering uh, way to healthcare, and my first actual career was actually in expedition travel. So it had nothing to do with healthcare, but it came into the healthcare space. Twelve, we're getting on twelve years, and always in telemedicine. And it was interesting because I was in my master's program, doing a master's of public administration. My goal was to go back out in the world and do international development and help people. And my sister is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So she was doing telepsych. She's been doing it a long time. So I had an idea of what telehealth was. I was at a conference, a global health conference, heard a doctor talking about starting a telemedicine program. And so I thought, wait a minute, I actually know what that is. And just went up to him after the talk and said, hey, I'm in grad school. I'm like a really cheap intern and I like telemedicine. I think it's interesting. If you have any spots, I'd love to do some work. And so it turned out he was the physician for Kaiser Permanente Colorado. So I started the first Kaiser Permanente Colorado telehealth program back in 2009 and just fell in love with working with experts and super smart people. And then did Kaiser Colorado, did Children's Colorado. So really created telemedicine programs throughout big health systems for a decade. And then two years ago, came out of my own to really, you know, just take my knowledge. I love what I teach. I love what I get to learn. And so to be able to partner with clinicians, whether they're in big organizations or small private practices is super fun for me. So that's how I got in here, a long and winding road. Awesome. And I feel like that was a good investment, especially taking those actions early on, because you look at how the healthcare industry has changed super rapidly over the last year or two with the whole pandemic and whatnot. But what sort of trends do you see in telemedicine right now that kind of get you excited? I feel like you're pretty deeply involved in this vertical. I think some of the things I love right now are really like Pre-pandemic, of course, no one even knew what I did. And I'd been doing it for eight years and they were like, tele-huh? And I was like, that's like Skype for a doctor. And they were like, oh, okay, whatever. Then of course, COVID hits, we need to do social distancing. Everybody gets on. Now Zoom is a verb, like Google was a verb before. But what I see our opportunity now is really on entire practice transformation. And transformation can be a buzzword that's overused. But really, like, how do we look at each of these virtual tools, whether it's email, text, telephone, video, remote patient monitoring, how do we look at all those tools and really design practices 
to meet patient, patients where they are. So if something's appropriate for an email, let's do it via email. If it's inappropriate for video, then let's do a video visit. Instead of this sort of reactionary, someone asked for a video visit, now I do a video visit. Someone only wanted to email, so I'll only do that. Instead, you can actually look at your whole practice and redesign what's the right tool for the right kind of patient. So I really think that's where our future is and where we need to go to. Healthcare can be a little slow and adverse to change. So it may take us a bit of time, but if people are willing now to really look at everything they've done in the last couple of years and now look at it from a more whole practice redesign, I think we got a ton of opportunity. Nice. I like that. I like what you said about having the right tool for the right patient. There's no one size fits all for telehealth and all these like different digital health solutions out there. And that kind of limits a lot of the confusion that these companies are experiencing when they're trying to explore these different telehealth options and opportunities. But like you have a pretty large background. You said you've worked across 19 different specialties and within telehealth. I didn't even know there's that many. But out of all those different verticals, like which ones stick out to you as far as what's experiencing the most growth or has the most growth potential? I think actually a lot of our specialty care has a lot of potential that people that I would say clinicians aren't yet comfortable with. So for example, if you even think of I always call them the non-procedural based specialty. So neurology, endocrinology, psychiatry, places where you need a lot of, you oftentimes have chronic disease, but, and patients need to see those clinicians over and over. Those kinds of things are great applications for telehealth because you can check in, say, if you have MS, you need to check in with your neurologist regularly. But if you're a stable MS patient, there's really no reason for you to go into the office. You can have a potentially a video visit with them. You can actually also, we've designed email algorithms where you can answer the exact same questions you would have answered in person. And that gives the clinician enough information to know if you're still stable, if they need to see you in person, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of our non-procedural based specialties, as we call them, again, examples, neurology, endocrinology, these kinds of things have a lot of opportunity in the telehealth space. I think our clinicians may not quite be there yet, but that's why we need, you know, people like me and other experts to really help them understand how that quote unquote appointment can be done virtually and how they can still deliver excellent quality care to their patients, because that's a really important thing that anyone in the digital health space needs to keep in mind. Clinicians are heart centered. If they are afraid they're not going to give good quality care, they're not going to be comfortable to do it. So it's our obligation to help them see how even being remote still allows them the same quality care that they could do in person and where it's not appropriate a pathway for them to see them in person. Yeah, I like that. They're shifting from a one-to-one model to a one-to-many model. And you hit it on the nail on the head where it's like, at the end of the day, doctors just want to be able to help patients, help people. And I feel like the advantage of telehealth right now is you're able to come in and help these companies, help these brands implement systems to really scale their impact. And I think that's really powerful, especially in the healthcare industry. But obviously, the healthcare industry is pretty slow to adopt new technologies and new trends and whatnot. And you mentioned how it's like your responsibility being in the telehealth, being an educator and a communicator 
So my question for you is how can we go about educating these companies these brands on the different sort of digital health solutions that are out there. Yeah, I think if we look at it from the standpoint of like the brands and companies who are the healthcare providers, I think what's important for them is always that idea again that it's patients first. So the provider wants to know it's patient first, but I'll say as someone like me in my business, I want clinicians to know for me it's clinicians first because if clinicians feel confident and trust that what you're bringing to them, the tools you're bringing to them will help them be more connected or equally as connected with their patients, then they're more comfortable to take that risk to change because so much of this is change management. You have to really redesign practices. You have to have schedulers who understand the virtual tools and how you will use them. You have to have the medical assistants who are comfortable to say, hey, I think this is a great uh, telemedicine visit or patient. And so a lot of times when I talk to the providers, the docs, the advanced practice is what they say is, as opposed to saying, oh, I'm only going to see XYZ type of patient for telehealth. Instead, they tell me success breeds success. So I try it with this kind of patient and then I'm like, oh my gosh, it works. Now I try it with this kind of patient. So I also spend a lot of time with literal clinical demos, clinical demonstrations with my providers. So if they say, oh, Sam, I'm thinking maybe we could do a diabetic patient, but there's no way I could do a foot exam. Then I say, okay, let's try it. Let's see what a video visit foot exam looks like with your patient at home and see if it's applicable. Can you do it? Will you be able to see it? And what happens is because providers are very tactile learners. That's how they learn in medical school. They like read, but then they go and do stuff. I think when you actually show it to them, they tend to be blown away by what they can actually see. And I think, again, that's an important time right now. People were forced into telehealth, the providers were through the pandemic. And so the things that they were, that they tried were probably a little more um, cautious. And now you can come back and say, hey, look, let me show you what scale we can get to. And when they see it, they go, oh my gosh, that really is close to what I would do in person. And you can help them through that. So having some sort of like hypothesis up front to just test and rather than putting all your eggs in the basket at once, you're going through some sort of A-B testing or trial period just to help with the risk mitigation aspect of it. Because like you said, it's a process being able to make that transition, but you made some very good points on how you can like educate them and stuff like that. And so when you are working with these companies and they have expressed interest, first off, what stage would you recommend companies be at before they start exploring these sort of solutions? Or is there even a stage that you recommend them to be at before they reach out and try to do some research? Yeah, I think it depends which side of you're looking at. If you're looking at providers like a clinical practice or an organization who does some kind of clinical care, any stage they're at is the right time. Because just like you said, you are trying to figure out how do I leverage my human capacity? We know there's a lot of healthcare professionals leaving healthcare. So we have to figure out how do we use modern technology tools to get to more patients. 
And so I think at any time is the right time. And what is most important is partnering with someone who's a real expert, who can walk you through all the different questions, understand really what your problems are, to then be able to help you, as you said, hypothesize or test some different solutions, because you're not going to, you're not going to say, oh, I'm definitely doing these 10 things and never change your mind. You need to test to see what works for you, the change management of it and how it goes. Now, on the other side for a digital health startup, a company who's creating a digital health solution, again, they should really bring in these healthcare experts, clinical experts as soon as possible. Because one of the challenges we see a lot with digital health companies is there's like incredibly brilliant engineers and all these people who understand how to solve problems. But when you don't understand healthcare, Bringing that solution into healthcare is not at all what you thought it would be. So you really need to have the end users, which are clinicians just as much as patients. Clinicians need to be involved to help you understand this helps me. This actually is more work for me. This doesn't, this isn't how we practice medicine. Please look at it from a different angle. So you really want those healthcare experts in your digital health innovation as soon as possible. Nice. And so you're really creating some sort of like feedback loop so that you can continue to optimize that process. And it's and you're doing it on a collaborative feel, whereas here's what we want to test. Here's what we think will work. And then you implement that. And then you get feedback based off the people who are actually doing that. And from there, you can see what works, what's not. Let's double down on what is working, maybe scratch what's not working or even trying to tweak that. You no, know, rather than starting from zero, you're just making small progress steps and that's how you will be able to implement it, right? It absolutely. Yeah. You definitely want that continual feedback because I think sometimes in healthcare, like there's a joke that there's more pilots in healthcare than there are in the airlines. And the thing is, everyone's like, we'll start a pilot. We'll figure it out with a pilot. But then if you don't have a rapid process to improve that, you never scale it anywhere. And a lot of the ways, I mean, with anything, but what I see in healthcare is For example, if you're going to go to a neurosurgeon, you want to go to the neurosurgeon who's done the most surgeries of what you need the surgery for. You're not going to go to the person who's only done that particular surgery 10 times. You want to go to the one who's done it a hundred times, a thousand times. If you don't set things up and start doing it so that you can rapidly get the experience of it, say it's video visits, say it's how do we actually schedule that end to end? If you don't get volume quickly, it's always awkward. It never feels right. So that's that goal. Try to get going as quick as possible so you can change, adjust, and then tweak to what fits your practice and your way of doing medicine. It reminds me of a book I read called Ready, Fire, Aim, where you just launch and then make improvements as you're going. Or they they use that analogy or metaphor of jumping off a cliff and building the plane on your way down. What I will say though, is if we say it like that to clinicians, they'll freak out because they don't want to hurt anyone. So it's this, it's this. that's what's so funny about it, right? It's this delicate balance of how do you help them see, we're not going to injure anyone. We're always going to have safety and quality, number one, but we're going to go as fast as possible and change. And it's a very different mind shift for healthcare. Awesome. Yeah. So Coming up towards like the end of like the main meat part of the episode, the interview, but what sort of advice would you have for companies that 
are aware of the problems that the traditional route is giving them and they want to explore new opportunities? What's the first step? What should they be thinking? What should they be top of mind? Yeah, I think for all of us, right? Know what your actual problem is. Don't be trying to find the solution yet. Know what your problem is. Know what those different pain points are so that then you can sit down with experts in the digital health space or the clinical space and explain your problems so that then you can all work collaboratively on a solution because you don't want to first come with, oh, I I know the perfect tech solution that's going to fix my problem. Because if you're not really clear on all the nuances to your problem, then that tech solution is very unlikely to fix it. So I think really understanding problem pain points first and coming with an open mind of who are the people around me, who are the experts I can bring in to have the conversations to come up with a solution that may look different than my, than that perfect, quote unquote, perfect tech that's going to fix everything. Okay. Yeah. I like that. It's an interesting piece of advice. Perfect way to end kind of the main part of our interview, but I like to end each interview with a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a short list of questions and you give me whatever answers you come up with. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? So my favorite book of all time is Pema Chandran, Comfortable with Uncertainty. And it's actually, she's a spiritual teacher. And so it's something you can read over and over again. Who is the most influential person in your life or career? It's, that's a funny one. You know what? It may sound cliche, but I'm going to say Oprah. I love someone who comes <laughs> from, you know, nothing. And I came from a really hard childhood background. So being able to see someone who came through all these things and overcome it and continue to live from her heart is really important for me. Hey, that's awesome. Shout out to Oprah. <laughs> Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish within the next? Let's see one goal. So one goal is I'm actually within the business is I'm bringing up a, a, a membership, like an entire clinical library of different specialties and different actual clinical demonstrations of how you would do this. So for me, that'll be super fun to work with lots of different experts and then make that really a catalog that people can see and be a part of there's nothing like that out there. And so that will be really fun. Hey, that's awesome. That sounds interesting. Last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? (laughs) Man, me at 20, that was something. I think I would just say your life will be even greater than you ever could have imagined. I am very, I'm now, you know, 48 years old. I'm very fortunate to have traveled the world, done all kinds of things. And really just that idea of keep going for what you want and it will go bigger and better than you ever imagined. Awesome. I like it. Perfect way to wrap up today's episode. Sam, I just want to thank you again for jumping on and just sharing your experience. I feel like your head is locked with so much knowledge and wisdom that can be of value to our audience. And I found a lot of value. So I know our listeners would provide or will get some value from this as well. But before you leave, where can people learn a little bit more about your company, connect with you if they're interested? Go ahead. 
Yeah. First off, thank you so much for having me. It's super fun. I love to have a chance to talk with other smart people and share. People can find me. My website is telehealtheasy.com. So that has all the different kinds of online courses and one-on-one services I do. And then I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So that's Sam Lipolis on LinkedIn and Twitter. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those resources all those links in the resources section. (laughs) But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Hope you guys got some value from this. Catch you on the next one.